The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. I'm joined by Jared Howland, public affairs consultant and Irish Times columnist, and Sheila Nocton, who is News Talk multimedia reporter, to go through the afternoon update on the stories that have been making the news this afternoon. Let us kick off, Jared, with the story of the GRA snub to Drew Harris. This is that he wasn't asked to their effectively their annual conference. Correct. And this has happened before. Michael McDool, when he was Minister for Justice, was not asked twice. Periodically, various ministers of education have been similarly snubbed, not asked to various teachers' uh, uh, conferences. So, in a sense, it's a storm at a teacup. It's up to organisations to invite whoever they want uh, as their guest. So, it simply doesn't matter at one level. What is more worrying, however, is not who they invited our conference, but that Gardaí, who are sworn um, members of Angarda Shiokana, who as sworn members of Angarda Shiokana have extraordinary powers in relation to citizens like you and me, uh, essentially took it upon themselves to vote no confidence in the Commissioner. By an extraordinary margin? Well, the fact that he did it at all, uh, let alone the extraordinary mar- margin, it raises in my mind the question, is the police force actually under the command and control of the Commissioner. Because if it's not, it's not an agency of the state. Uh, it's a problem for the state. And I think the GRA, they can play whatever antics they want at their conferences, invite whoever they wish, but they need to know that they need to reassure the people who pay them and support their position and that there's a question mark over their reliability as a disciplined force of order. Sheila, in, in footballing terms, this seems to be the definitive example of a manager losing the dressing room. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I was at that conference where they uh, voted no confidence. And back then they were highlighting issues like retention and recruitment and um, morale. And look, anecdotally, from speaking to friends of mine who are members of the Gardaí, they say they may not recommend that job to others. And I mean, what kind of statement is that when we are trying to recruit more people, there's there's a lack of Gardaí. So, I mean, this kind of negative press isn't going to help that. But yet, as you say, there's kind of no coming together. Um, there seems to be, I suppose, there's an overshadowing of those issues now because we're talking about things like the Dublin riots and facial recognition. So so what happened to addressing those issues that were brought up back then? I understand what you're saying, that the Gardaí need to reassure the public, but surely there just needs to be a coming together so that on the whole, they're all together on this and that Gardaí, who are, I suppose, down the bottom ranks, just feel secure and, and um, within their jobs as well. And the other thing that seems to be an issue that the uh, GRA and the, I think, 11,000 members that they have, they represent a huge proportion of of the force, the vast majority of the force. One of the other issues that they have is the overzealous oversight, as it is being described by some, the sense that GSOC is breathing down your neck and that you are not being allowed to police for fear that somebody will submit a video of you and you'll end up being disciplined. Well, I mean, we, we, we kind of nearly saw that during the riots. I, I was down there when uh, a report on it at the time and to see things being thrown at Gardaí, to see them, um, I suppose, being abused. We saw the videos of that poor guard on the bridge who was just being uh, kicked and attacked. And what could they do? What defence could they put up? They're being filmed. And as you say, there's so much regulation and red tape. They're often afraid to to do their job. So what they were really looking for is policies um, 
that that allow them to do their jobs and not be afraid to do it. I also don't know how many times you've heard someone say, oh, well, I reported to the Gardaí, but they're underage, so what can they do? And that, that is the question. What can they do? This, of course, um, a statement from uh, the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, who's going to be joining me on the Anton Savage show tomorrow morning. She said, the statement says, she notes the ongoing industrial relations issues, but regrets the repeated personalisation of them as she believes dialogue and interaction are the only way forward in such situations. Jared, reading between the lines, that says, not my problem, go away. Well, it is her problem uh, because she is the Minister for Justice and has an overall policy responsibility for, for those issues, not operational responsibility. So at the moment, we've two distinct different organisations who say they've no confidence in the Garda Commissioner, the Garda Representative Organisation and Sinn Féin. Uh, that's some alliance. Uh, it should cause some people to reflect. I, I don't think the GRA understands the damage it's doing to the job. It, but it the has. GRA undoubtedly say it's not them that is doing the damage. It is, it is their members reflecting the reality in which they find themselves, which is the responsibility of the Commission. So to my certain knowledge, the Commissioner has no role, function, or much influence, in fact, over government pay policy, which affects guarded pensions and overall public sector pay. Those decisions are made far above his head in a room at a table at which sits the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. It'll be very interesting to see how this gets brought back together because, uh, as you say, that that vote of no confidence was so overwhelming. It seems there is a long road to travel. We'll undoubtedly be talking about that again. Before that, though, the the probably most significant global news of the day, that being that Putin critic Alexei Navalny has died in a Russian prison. And as I understand it, Sheila Nocton, News Talk uh, reporter, what he is, uh, what the Russian authorities are saying is that he went for a walk and was fine and then was suddenly overcome with, with I mean, I, I don't mean to make a laugh of it, but suddenly overcome with a bit of death, effectively is what they say. Yeah, so their statement, I mean, and the language is, is quite interesting. Uh, they say, convict Alexei Navani uh, felt unwell after a walk and immediately losing consciousness. The medical staff of the institution arrived immediately and an ambulance team was called and then they go on to say that they tried to carry out resuscitation and that did not yield positive results and the ambulance stated the death of the convict. So, you know, I suppose that's that's very uh, pointed uh, language. But um, it's been reported as well that uh, the President Vladimir Putin, he has been told of the death. However, we've seen in the past that he won't even re- refer to uh, Mr. Vanny by name. So I don't know if we'll expect any sort of condolences there. But uh, this is not unusual. And I suppose the global reaction politically has been an assumption that he didn't just go for a walk. I mean, NATO Secretary um, General Jens Stoltenberg, he said they need to establish all of the facts and that Russia needs to answer questions. David Cameron, uh, UK Foreign Secretary, saying that Putin should be accountable um, for this. So it all points to an assumption that, that maybe he didn't just go for a walk and die. A man of extraordinary bravery, it has to be said, because he kept putting himself in this danger. Yeah, he walked back into the lion's den. He, uh, when he was poisoned, he had been abroad for treatment in Germany. This is the previous poisoning back in 2020. Correct, yes. Um, he, he went back to Russia. He took his life into his hands. Now his life is, is over. This is business as usual for the Russian state. So in, a, in one sense, the actuality of what happened to that poor man in the last few hours is beside the point. He was persecuted. Uh, ferociously, uh, probably uh, attacked uh, in terms of poisoning. But in any event, many, many others have suffered gruesomely Mm. at the hands of this regime, which is a continuation of the Russian state over centuries in different iterations, but using the same means continuously. And what that means for us in Ireland 
is we should remember what is at stake in Ukraine. It is about Putin, it is about Russia trying to change the settled borders of one country over another by force of arms for the first time since World War II to effectively undermine the way of life of democracy, of a rules-based system that we've embraced since World War II. And if we have 100,000 Ukrainians here, we should be grateful to bear the burden given what is really at stake with this man, with this regime. The thing that it does show about if, I mean, obviously a lot of the international commentary, as I said, Zelensky, Kamala Harris, you quoted um, UN sources likewise, saying that the, the blame lies with the regime. If that is proven to be the case, which we assume it will be, it does raise the question, Sheila, of what if any international pressure does Putin feel? Because we have seen embargoes, we've seen sanctions, we have seen vast military aid pour into Ukraine and none of it seems to stay his hand in any way. That was the, f- the first thing I thought. I said they can come out with statements but look, they've been pushing for, for you know, over a year now to try and um, get some sort of ceasefire or, or peace within Ukraine uh, and that hasn't worked. And as you mentioned, I mean, the same means again and again to take out any opponents to the Kremlin, like journalists or anything like that. But they are actually escalating. We'll probably remember um, the plane crash that killed Yevgeny Prigozhin. That was two months after he spearheaded a mutiny against Russia's military. Now, again, they say that they had no part to play in that, but that's getting more extreme again. So, and, and remember as well that um, Navani, he was investigating um, um, Russia. He had identified a palace built on the Black Sea that Mr. Putin was using for personal use. And like he raised an awful lot of, of issues and uh, he put out videos on the corruption that was happening in Russia. And nothing has happened. And now he's dead. And hugely influential videos and millions and millions of both followers and views on YouTube. And so much so that some of his videos included him saying, if they decide, knowing that it was that simple, if the whim finally takes them to kill me, here's why. Yeah, and his wife has come out to also say that she wants the world to almost back this now and and I suppose bring Russia and and Putin's uh, regime to to justice. But I... They haven't succeeded so far. So so why will it be successful now? I remember, Jared a long time ago, I spoke to Sir John Sawyers, the um, head of MI6, and I asked him about the, do you remember the Salisbury killings? Where, yes, or the Salisbury two attack, gentlemen. Yeah. Where the two gentlemen from the FSB were subsequently mm-hmm. videoed saying they wanted to see Salisbury Cathedral. And I asked him why... He used the word gentleman advice. Indeed. Yeah. Why would they do something which is such an obvious lie? And he said, well, that's the, the point. point. It is yeah. to show that we can do this yeah. and we can laugh at you. I assume the same applies here. Putin, this, there's no attempt, if it, if it is shown to have been a regime uh, assassination. So no Russia is, is very active here. Um, we are vulnerable. Um, we're not particularly important, but we're highly vulnerable. And we have all sorts of wires and tubes uh, going out all out of this island, off it, under sea and so forth, uh, that are of great interest to, uh, to, to Russia. They are above our skies on a regular basis, but we have no radar capable of detecting that. We are entirely dependent for what it's worth, or however uneasy we may, we may be about it, on, on, the, on the RAF, keeping an eye out up there uh, for us. But because so much air traffic crossing the Atlantic goes through Ireland, uh, because so much communication across the Atlantic goes through Irish waters, we are a target. We have already had a major hit on the HSE from sources unknown that disabled our health service for days. And that's a small taster of what is to come. That is not to mention what is happening in Ukraine. And that is not to mention Putin killing people here, there and everywhere just to show it can be done. That is the nature of of autocratic power. Text to say, devastated over uh, Navalny's death. He could have been a force for good for Russia. 
Um, it says nobody is perfect, but he was certainly brave. Uh, the reference nobody is perfect is it is interesting to see already online how much propaganda is being spread about his politics on the very day he died to tarnish his reputation, not suggesting in any way that that's the root of that text. Another not great for Trump and Tucker. This, of course, is a reference to Tucker Carlson having done a special big, long, soft soap interview with Vladimir Putin, which was an exercise in, in misinformation and propaganda. Um, but that, of course, um, only broadcast last week before this happened. We will be talking later on in, in the show to a uh, Russian uh, foreign policy uh, expert, that being Jason Corcoran, about the death of Alexei Navalny, uh, what we know and what the implications are. Before that, let us go to something a little (laughs) bit more positive. This is the news that, of all things, Tinder is getting uh, sued and it's getting sued because apparently it is uh, too addictive. Jared, it strikes me that this is something that you probably have a great degree of expertise about. Well, in my day, the Tinder that was most available was the Knock Marriage Bureau. Now, I accept things that moved on a little since then. But um, but these. How did the Knock Marriage Bureau work? It didn't work for me. But anyway. Tinder is still available, Jared. (laughs) Tinder Tinder is still available. Uh, Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, and a range of other apps. Owned by a company called Match Group, immensely successful, bring all sorts of love and creativity and joy to God knows how many people in, in whatever forms, but that they are addictive. Uh, that they change the nature of social reality for those people on it too much and that uh, they are now being sued. So it's an intriguing lawsuit and it goes to the heart of how all apps attract and keep our attention. Uh, the, The way it was explained to me once, given that I'm a technophobe, was if you know the baby's pram and what you put on the baby's pram, the little coloured keys and toys and things, and baby is endlessly fascinated with these tinkling, twinkling little coloured objects. And our eyes are attracted into these apps and returning to these apps continuously because they have the capacity to excite certain parts of our brain and attract us to keep coming back. It's a sort of, it's how smoking works, but this, it's, it's, you know, for for the brain. And then, of course, you mix, you mix sex into the mix which is another uh, part of this. Well, that's where it, it, this is, is slightly unusual, in that the algorithm of almost all other sort of social media apps provides you with entertainment content and is therefore addictive. This is real life human beings that we're talking about. I love about this app, this lawsuit. They say that they effectively go on to criticise really normal features of apps. They're like, they upsell and they give you push notifications. Yeah, so did Candy Crush and people got addicted to that and there was no lawsuits over that. Well, there might have been, but nothing like this. So I, I kind of question. That, that line but like on a less serious note I literally I literally could be a Tinder correspondent at this stage I've been on it for about 10 years and like you know what you're getting into when you go onto it like you you know that there are people that are on there for different reasons you know that it can be addictive and Sorry, surely go back for a second as, <laughs> as somebody who has never experienced this can you just clarify one bit for my understanding was that everybody was on there for the same reason and there was only one uh, no. Oh. No. What are the others? <laughs> well, like some, well, Bumble now has a feature where you can be BFFs. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I'm afraid to ask. I just mean like, as in, if somebody's on there because it's a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke, like it's your responsibility as an app user to, to weed them out. Like you're not, don't go on a date with them then. And also if you're addicted to something, it's not your responsibility to acknowledge your own addiction and deal with it rather than being like, you know what, we'll just sue them because I'm addicted to that. My understanding though was that um, 
Tinder is struggling for market share against newer apps like Bumble and Hinge. I have to say, I've actually, I have moved to, to Bumble. I prefer that now. Yeah. Why? I think that... Sorry to make you representative of all of these, but Jared's already decided we can't ask about the Knock Marriage Bureau. It doesn't exist anymore. So you're taking the fall I, I, I switched one. because I, I just found that you weren't having decent conversations on Tinder. As you say, there are people there for a majority of maybe one reason, whereas you might get a good conversation on Bumble and the woman has to start the conversation. So it's kind of in your hands as well. So uh, that's why I switched. There is an issue in sort of old school behavioural economics terms here, though, Jared, about all apps and the capacity of them to addict based on... A an algorithm or AI or machine yeah. learning being able to judge exactly the point at which we give you the tiniest reward yeah. that hooks you in, even if it's an ostensibly so, so, benign app. So their value is your time. And they monetize your time into their shareholder value. That's simply how it works, uh, regardless of what the app is or what it's for. Um, and I can tell you, I spent far too much time looking into my phone at various apps um, and I continuously remind myself to do this less because it's time wasting and I usually fail and fail again. Do you get that notification that says, you spent less time this week, it's <laughs> yeah, only nine I and do, a half I days do, I do. I mean, I cringe. Uh, but like, you're not going to go and sue them because you spent no. too much time on an app. Well, let's study, let's see how successful the lawsuit is. Okay, it'll be, an interesting, it'll be an interesting argument to see how it plays out in court. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.